Hey everyone, you're listening to My Favorite Things by one of my favorite guests here on The Playful Musician, Lila Bialy. An amazing musician out of Toronto, Canada, Lila just released her new recording, Your Requests, and this is just one of several amazing tracks. Frequently, while Lila's out on tour, she encourages her fans to submit requests for songs for her to sing on stage, and she took that same idea for this recording and ended up with this amazing list of classic jazz standards. Lila put her unique twists and flair on these tried and true tunes in what is a joyful and innovative album. She's joined by Kurt Elling, Anat Cohen, Katie Georgi, and a host of other fine musicians from her home in Toronto, Canada. We had a great time reconnecting, diving into the album, talking about the recording and production and release. And you're going to get to hear several clips of tunes throughout the show. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lila Bialy. These are a few of my favorite things. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Lila, welcome back to The Playful Musician. So great to see you. Ah, it's lovely to see you too. <laughs> it's been, I looked, and it's been a couple of years. So it was like 2020, the last time we spoke. And uh, yeah, a lot has happened. A different, you know, the world's a lot different now than it was <laughs> then. And you have this amazing new album your requests that's that's uh, about to make its entrance into the world. So how, how have the last two years been for you? They've been pretty chaotic. <laughs> I <laughs> really like, you know, I, I feel like we've had to become so nimble. Mm. On the one hand, incredibly steely and steadfast, but on the other hand, more malleable and nimble than ever. So on the one hand really refining and deepening what our priorities are. I think that's true for all of us, no matter yeah. what one's profession. But then, because things can really change from one day to the next, as we've experienced, or one month to the next, or certainly one year to the next, um, we also have to be very flexible and prepared to pivot mm. with, you know, 
conditions and recommendations. Yeah. And now I think, I think we're in a place where we're all enjoying the luxury, if I can call it that, of deciding for ourselves how we want to be in the world yeah. and engage with others and move about and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, none of us, like everybody was touched by the past three years in some way. And I think we all function, whether we're conscious of it or not, a little different now. <laughs> for sure. So, and there are good things. I feel like there are pros and cons to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And are you, like how, you're in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are things, how are things going there? And the music, like I imagine people are getting back out and, you know, going to concerts and going to cafes and going, I mean, yeah. They are. All yeah. That people sort of stuff. are out and about again. But what's so interesting, Steve, is that, you know, as an artist who's releasing music and touring and trying to get people out, the people's buying habits and, and and habits in general, but you know, where mm. hard ticket sales are concerned, right? Buying habits matter, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> and what's interesting is when I toured last spring, I toured Europe last spring, oh, and that okay. was a tour that had been twice delayed. So, it was supposed to happen in 2020 when I released Out of Dust. Yeah. It was a really exciting tour. Things were building for me in Europe. I had released, it was my second album release with ACT, a really fantastic label mm. that I'm still with um, for European territories. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had to punt to the following year and then we had to punt again. So I finally got out in 2022 and, and there was a, so much energy and support for the album, we were selling out shows everywhere, which was incredibly exciting. I bet. Also slightly overwhelming because, <laughs> you know, I have autoimmune disease and oh and pretty, pretty bad asthma. And so I thought, oh my gosh, if COVID takes me out, like, what is that going to mean for me? Not only in the short term, but the long term. Yeah. And I have very mixed feelings about masks. So on the one hand, I still wear them fairly religiously when I travel, yeah. so on planes. Yeah, but yeah. I am definitely the exception now. Most people aren't wearing them. Yeah. But when I'm at a show, I don't want to wear a mask because on the one hand, I want to protect myself and those around me because COVID is still a going concern, yep. whether we oh, like yeah. it or not. But, still but <laughs> it's still here. However, like it, a mask changes the nature of a connection mm. with the person you're, you're connecting with. And Absolutely. so I just have made it a habit not to wear them when I'm interfacing with um, folks who've come out to shows. And thank God I was fine. I was in good health and I came home in good health. But anyway, all that to say, I toured Canada in the summer and and in Canada, you know, I've got a really good track record. Sure. It's my primary market and... And what was interesting is we were actually struggling with sales last summer. Mm. And I was hearing from festival directors that they were struggling across the board, whether it was Gregory Porter or Lila Bialy or, you know, whatever musician, mm. even if that person had previously had really good sales, um, it seemed folks were maybe either a bit hesitant still or 
had become accustomed to doing other things with their time. Sure. And now fast forward to uh, the current, you know, the times we're now in, Europe is looking very different because of the war in Ukraine, uh, especially Germany. Their gas bills and energy bills have gone through the roof. And so people just don't have the means Mm. to enjoy what we think of as a luxury. I think of it as an essential service (laughs) of music because I really think we all need it. But but um, but I understand. Right. If you have to choose between putting food on the table or going to a show, you're going to. You're going to choose food. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we're staring, we're staring down a very different kind of challenge now. Um, but, you know, we've, we're almost sold out at Ronnie Scott's in the UK. Awesome. I know that Bremen in Germany, we're, we're almost sold out. Um, so we'll have to see in some way. I, I don't know that I'll know till we get there how it all goes. Sure. But, but uh, anyway, that was a very long-winded <laughs> response about uh, then versus now. Right. Ever evolving. <laughs> but we're still, we're just always... It's ever evolving and it's unpredictable. I think that's the word I would use is it's unpredictable. So you just do your best. Yeah. Just do your best. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about this recording. So it's been two. Well, the last recording out of dust came out in 2020. Is that right? Three years. Yeah. Three years. Three years ago. So three Three years years since your last album. But it seems like this, this album has been in the making longer than that. Right. It has been, and I'm going to spill the beans that I actually have a second full album release coming out in November. So oh. this is, it's a crazy year for me. And that one is almost entirely original music. Okay. And it's a Winter Songs chamber jazz project with the Ooh. symphony orchestra. And oh yeah, it's, 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 we're actually going into the <laughs> studio next week to record it. So so we're, we begin the recording process oh my gosh. four days before I fly to Europe to, to, to tour your request. So it's a little bit holding two balls at the same time yeah. and and definitely juggling and it reminds me of when I was on tour with Sting years ago like more than a decade ago mm-hmm. I was struck by how we were touring one project but it was so clear because I got to see him interfacing with his management and various team members on the road while we were in transit yeah and they were talking about like they were already in the next project yeah. while they were touring the current project and I was like wow that is fascinating it's like two very different head spaces sure but i could see why that would be and um the current music paradigm really requires music business paradigm mm. requires that we be churning out more and more music so yes i started your requ- requests technically the concept of your requests which was called the request-o-matic right. back in 2013 <laughs> when i launched it officially um you know it's 10 plus years old and yeah. and and I decided, you know, when I was thinking about what my next move would be as a recording artist and by extension, a touring artist, um, you know, I was like, what, what would be, what would be sort of easy in some ways, mm-hmm. but then also like deeply satisfying. Yeah. And this, this project came to mind. I thought, you know what, what a great moment to ask my people who've stuck with me through this very tumultuous you know, couple of years, ask them what they want to hear. And I decided to create a focus because, you know, thus (laughs) far or until then it was always any, anything Anything goes, goes, you could ask me to cover Metallica and I would do it. So, 
but I wanted to give a focus. And for me, it's interesting because most jazz musicians live, or many of us live in the Great American Songbook. That's yep. the tradition. Yeah. But for me, this was like the return to something I hadn't really been in inhabiting for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was just fun to ask my, my followers what, what songs they wanted to hear. And I was amazed at how many like, very popular and well-known songs came up. You know, right. I thought that there might be some deep, deeper cuts. Sure. But for the most part, people just wanted to hear the songs that we all know and love. Yeah. Which was a rich opportunity to try and imagine something that has been overdone and hopefully try and bring some freshness to a song yeah. like Autumn Leaves. I mean, that was the first tune I ever learned, like one of the first jazz standards I ever right. learned when I was in college (laughs) like 20 years ago i know letter a in the real book (laughs) totally exactly oh my gosh and it was so funny steve because i really had to dig out those real books again yeah because you know there are all these questions around well what did the composer actually write right you know or 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 did it get if you'll pardon the term bastardized over decades right and is like like the Jamie Abersold or, or the new real book version. Like, is, is that actually accurate? Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was it. That was an interesting part of the project. And Kurt Elling. So yeah, for my funny Valentine. Yeah. Um, oh my god. I think I said I sang "Don't Change Your Hair for Me" mm-hmm. instead of "A Hair." <laughs> And he wrote me this fantastic email that just said, Lila, I love you. This is a fantastic arrangement. I'm honored to be a part, which is like, you know, mind blowing. But then he said, I have to tell you, it is not change your hair. It is change a hair. (laughs) Very, two very different meanings. One suggests you would go to the hair salon or not go to the hair salon. Right. And the other is, you know, a beautiful metaphor for just not changing a thing. Right. You know. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. <laughs> so these are the debates I was having, yeah. And but not for me was the most interesting because the lyrics that I included in the third and fourth verses, they almost never get sung. No, exactly. And when you looked them up, I was like I was like, I'm hearing these like five different ways. Sinatra <laughs> sings it one way, Ellis right. sings it another, Harry Connick sings it another. I was like, what is the <clears throat> actual version? And so I had to go back to like the sheet music mm-hmm. from from when that song was written for Broadway. Right. And that was where I found what I believe to be the, the true and accurate lyrics. Sure. That's so awesome. Like excavating <laughs> sort of archaeological. Yes! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like jazz archaeology, 100%. Uh, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great album. And when I, you know, the first track, you just come out swinging, literally, <laughs> with Bye Bye yeah. Blackbird. And... The rhythm section, holy crap. I mean, the, th- the three of you, George and uh, Larnell. Larnell, sorry, and, and yourself, like, wow, it's just burning. And then it's, it's so fun. It's so energetic. And, uh, and you, you and George have played a long time together, right? Like George and Larnell. So, you know, in fact, my my playing relationship with Larnell predates that with George. So oh, I really? met Larnell. I met Larnell when I think he was still a teenager. Like he might have been eighteen or nineteen. Wow. 
And he was this wunderkind everybody was talking about. And not only as a drummer, but believe it or not, as a bassist, he was like playing oh. some electric bass. And just <laughs> he's one of those crazy players who grew up and was schooled largely by the church. And okay. And so, you know, these guys that have just these gospel chops, it's like a whole other thing. Um, but he'd also been, I think, pretty deep into to jazz and, and other styles of music. And so I think I met him in like the early aughts, like early 2000s. And then George, I um, added to the, the trio mix in 2007 when I was working on and recording from sea to sky. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that the two, the, the three of us rather, uh, got together and played. And it was just a match made in heaven. It's so funny because we, I mean, Larnell is fairly close to me in age. He's a little bit younger, but in some ways we come from three different generations. Yeah. Like I, I think he might be three or four years younger than I, which is not really a different generation, but it felt that way. Sure. And, um, and George is many years older than, than both Larnell and I, but it was just this beautiful thing where the music, the music tr transcended all of that. And, and still does to this day. Like when we get on stage together <laughs> or in, into the studio together, it's like putting on an old pair of slippers, but, but <laughs> always with surprises. Right. So on the one hand, on the one hand, completely like having lived with one another's wonderful idiosyncras idiosyncrasies. Mm -hmm. And for, for me, like with them, their unique gifts for well over a decade now, but then also always ready for a surprise because that's fundamental to how Larnell and George play. They're always growing. Mm. They're so deeply committed to growing, growing, growing. And in that sense, like our trio is this ever evolving organism. And yeah. so your request is this wonderful snapshot of what the three of us sounded like on April, I think it was the 14th of 2022. <laughs> when you record, that's when you recorded it. <laughs> Wow. Which was the day before we flew, or no, two days, two or three days before I flew to Europe. So I seem to have made it, made a habit of going into the studio three days before I leave for a huge European tour. <laughs> well, it's working. So, <laughs> yeah. it was, yeah, it's just that opening track really hits you and it's so fun. And, and there's a lot of joy in this album. Like I, I was noticing that too. I mean, it's, Aww. it seems like you guys the whole group had a had a great time even the even the guest artists like you can just feel yeah that it's uh there's an ease to it and a joyfulness uh did you feel that in the process yeah i did it's interesting that's such a great word and i i feel like you know if there were one word that captures who i am in my music i do think it's the word joy mm. In fact, I wrote a song called Joy, and Larnell's wife is named Joy, so I always think of her. <laughs> um, but yeah, like even when even when we've been profoundly stressed, and you know, I would say that that studio session was not super easy because mm. there were a few arrangements that the guys already knew because there were like earlier versions of those songs. Yeah. But, but then I, I, I updated them. Sure. Which is always happening yeah. um, as jazz musicians, I think. Nothing is ever, like, fixed. Set in stone, um, right. Yeah, right. But, but we were rehearsed. Like, we were kind of rehearsing 
as we were recording, <laughs> which is not necessarily ideal and does yeah. carry with it some stress, but it also it also means that there's freshness. Yeah. And because there's so much love and trust, um, I think that at the end of the day, that's the spirit in which this music was recorded, mm. right? A spirit Beautiful. of love, trust, and joy. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think yeah. about, you know, like Kind of Blue and how um, Miles would j- just walked in with sketches and they just flushed it out in the session like, holy crap. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I, I I forget that. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. And isn't there isn't there just something about the adventure and the unexpected nature of like carving out a path together? Right. So you have your map. Yeah. You have your target destination, but you don't quite know how you're going to get there. Yeah. And there's, there'll be moments where Larnell is like, I'm taking the lead. Follow me, guys. This is where I'm going. Yeah. And George and I are like, okay, you know, and we each, we each take our turn. But again, it's like, you know, it sounds a little corny, but at the end of the day, we're like linking arms and there's a real, um, beautiful, uh, feeling of, of unity and, mm. and linked, um, purpose. Yeah. And how we move forward and and excavate, not excavate, but adventure yeah. and discover yeah. together. And I'm sure it was that times a thousand for Miles's group. <laughs> Big personalities right? in that that's, group. I, I can mean, imagine. Wow. Yeah. Right. And in that sense, concessions and Miles is so different. Like I would never call his fundamental attribute joy <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. right like not at all right. <laughs> and that's not to take anything no, away no, from no. him because he's as brilliant as they came but right. but um yeah yeah it's fascinating so fascinating here's lila and her band with bye bye blackbird live in the studio or like as a trio and then you came in and did the vocals afterwards is that the way it works exactly yeah. exactly it was it was essentially live off the floor uh, as a quartet uh, okay. with kelly right on oh my saxophone God. for most tracks yeah yeah oh he's awesome <laughs> he's yeah. so awesome and um and he was in some ways not a liability but you know, he played with me on an album called Tracing Light, mm-hmm. and he played, but only a couple tracks, and then he played on one track on my, like, pop crossover album, House of Many Rooms, and he's played a couple gigs with me since, but while we all know and love Kelly, and he's just burning, yeah, it, it was it was a little bit like, okay, how's, how is this going to go? Right. Because 
he's less familiar with my way of arranging and, um, and would have probably felt a little more put on the spot. I did send very rough demos to the guys and, yeah. and charts ahead of time. But, you know, Kelly more than rose to the occasion. Oh, so, yes, we recorded uh, together, the four of us. And then I later added vocals at home um, mm -hmm. in my home studio with Ben, my husband. Right. who also plays drums on a few tracks. Right. Engineering <clears throat> and co-producing. So that's kind of, that's basically how we do things now. Yeah. Do you sing while the quartet is recording? Are you singing and not recording it? So, you know what? That's what makes it so difficult is I can't really, I can't right. really sing because the piano mic will pick it up. Right. And you'll end up with like a ghosty vocal. And I think that is what makes it hard for the guys is, especially if the arrangements are, are really new. Yeah. Um, because they need guidance, <laughs> right? And so I think that that is in some ways not ideal. Like you have yeah. to choose, you have to choose what your priority is. So... So uh, if I were going to make that kind of a record where the vocals were recorded live and in real time, which I love the idea of, yeah, I would want it to be a live performance. Sure. So I would rather than like a live air quotes performance yeah. in the studio, I would do it the snarky puppy way, either where we're in the studio, but there's a studio audience. Oh, fun. Or, yeah. or it would be a live concert, which I'm thinking about doing, Steve, because oh, fun. Um, in another interview, somebody said to me, well, why wouldn't you have like workshop these songs live and on tour and then go into the studio to record it? And I was like, well, maybe it's a both and, yeah. you know, and that way, again, you get the snapshot of where things were at on April 14th of 2022. And we did go back and record some extra songs in September of 2022. So it was two sessions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and then what things are sounding like live at the end of the tour, that to me that would be that would be interesting. Right. And it's it's gonna be different because as you say, it evolves and that's what one thing I love about going that, to live shows that I've been to is I get I get real attached to the recordings because they're just so often the recordings are just so amazing and, and you, you know, live with them. Right. You live with them, right? Yeah. And then you show up to the venue and oh, this arrangement like the arrangement has changed and it's like it's refreshing and it's exciting. And because you know as a especially as a musician, you know, oh right, they're they're constantly evolving. They're thinking about, oh, maybe I could tweak this bass line a little, or maybe we can have this little interlude that I've been thinking of, or this other little line, ancillary line that you know, or maybe we're going to shift the harmonics, whatever it is. It's, it's always, I find that fun when you go yeah. to a lot. And I never really expect at a live performance that I'm going to hear the recording. Like, <laughs> Right. And, and what's interesting is I think initially, like when we're in Europe and it's Ben on drums and, and George on bass mm -hmm. and no saxophone, which terrifies me, Steve, <laughs> because I have not really stretched as an improviser really since I was in my twenties. Mm -hmm. I'm now 42 and that's a muscle that you got to keep in <laughs> shape. So I'm like back in the gym going, Ooh, this feels heavier than I remember it feeling. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm trying not to become overly daunted because I'm no Kelly Jefferson. So I have to allow it to be something different. 
And so I'm rediscovering what my voice is as an improviser. Right. And uh, yeah. And so I have the feeling that initially on tour, we're going to be like sticking closely to how we recorded these. But before long, they're just going to yeah open up a little more and the inevitable will happen. Exactly. <laughs> George, George will throw something in that like, forces Ben and I to approach things differently. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. what's so beautiful about jazz is everybody is collaborative and disruptive at the same time. Right. It's yeah. like, you're constantly listening to one another and trying to complement what the others are doing, but you're also disrupting and, you know, creating change and evolution where it not, not only is, is needed or wanted, but like, for the sake of play, right? I love the name of your podcast, The Playful Musician, because it's like totally encapsulates right. my philosophy <laughs> as a writer and as a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again in that in, in a spirit of a play, right? That those things change, right? Yeah. Well, I always love so. that we call it <clears throat> playing music, like we don't call it working music. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 exactly. I never, you know what's so funny? I never thought of it. I never thought about the double meaning of the word. Yeah. It's not just like playing something, but it's the, uh, an act of play. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And that's, I hear that in your music. I hear that with the group, there is a playful quality to it. And I think that's one of the reasons it resonates so much with me because I always, even like, we were talking about kind of blue and miles davis like i love cannonball because he's so playful and joyful and like you have miles who's so serious and you have and you have coltrane who's like so heady and then and then cannonball comes in and you just start laugh i just start laughing because it's just so yeah 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 (laughs) joyful yeah and what a beautiful contrast right exactly and that to me reminds me of like parts of the body and everybody has a different function and yeah you know (laughs) thank god for the the intellectual rigor but then also the 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 joy and the play and even the the boldness the brashness Mm -hmm. you know yeah um yeah was it intentional going back to you were talking about your uh your soloing chops or your improvisational like going on tour and you kind of have to work that was it intentional that you didn't take a piano solo in this recording (laughs) no because the last the last track is all instrumental right all the things you are yeah 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 and i actually wrote that arrangement there were there are a few arrangements on here that i wrote when i was in my 20s like fresh out of college and it Mm -hmm. just so happened that somebody said i want to hear that tune and i was like (laughs) well that makes my life easy i'll just use this arrangement and again maybe tweak and change a bit and it's both Bye Bye Blackbird and, and all the things come from like my early 20s. Mm. And you can kind of hear it. Like there's like a, you know, yeah. the excitement of somebody Exuberance. who's fresh out of jazz yeah. school and wants to like, you know, totally crack open and reimagine the harmony. And um, and so back then I would have been the one soloing. Yeah. There wouldn't have been a fourth person. Yeah. Um, but I think I found the prospect of that really daunting. I also sure. liked the idea of like a jazz quartet. Yeah. So even when it's Grégoire and, you know, Grégoire Marais on harmonica and yeah. Annette Cohen on uh, clarinet, you know, I just loved 
I love the idea of that quartet sound. And, um, and it did, yeah, it took some pressure off and it also, I think it elevated the arrangements, but, but what's interesting, Steve, is that whenever I've toured, because I struggle to have confidence as uh, an improviser, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you're hearing my son whistling in the background, he's in his room with the door closed, he's he's whistling. (laughs) It's very sweet. Um, but anyway, um, we, uh, you know, something different happens when it's the trio Yeah. and we toured once with Phil Dwyer, who is one of the best saxophonists and musicians. He actually also plays mean piano Mm. in Canada. He's like, he's like the Brecker of Canada and, Mm. um, there's like nobody better. You know, he's, he's the absolute top of the top. And then, so I toured, we toured a little bit with him and then, and then there were a couple of shows where we played as a trio in fairly close proximity. And I remember a couple of people who were like very insightful listeners saying, we love the show with Phil. He's incredible. And that's its own thing. But we like equally loved the trio iteration or maybe even liked it a bit better only because when Phil is there, he's so profoundly talented. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's the commander. Of, he's the leader. He's the commander of the group. Yeah. And we go where he goes. Whereas with the trio, it's a little more equitable. And yeah. it's not that Phil is trying to dominate. It's more that he just can't help but but take the lead because he's so, he plays in a very commanding way. Yeah. Um, whereas as a trio... Yeah, it's more about the three parts kind of elevating the whole and each really contributing equally. Yeah. And um, so it's different. It's different. And I have to remember that as we go out on tour with this music so that I don't put pressure on myself to like have to, you know, fill a certain role as a soloist. Yeah. It's like it's always all three of us together. Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's you being Lila, right? So it's yeah. like your voice. That's what people, that's what I always have to remember. And no matter what it is <clears throat> that I'm doing, whether it's the podcast or a performance, it's like yeah, people are coming to your show to see you and to hear you, whether you play a million notes a second or you play one note a second, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's uniquely you. And so I, you know, you know, and so I can think of two examples of just where, you know, that 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 direct connection with the the spirit of the artist it, it transcended almost like their their ability from a mm-hmm. technical place, and and so like I think Leonard Cohen. Yeah. So he is n- he's not a good singer. <laughs> I'm sorry, right. you know, and I love him. Right. His music is sublime. But I don't love him in spite of his singing. I love him because of his singing. And, yeah. and it's, the, it's the full package. It's the artistry of those words and then sung by that voice that is unlike any other. And he's singing his lyrics. Nobody, nobody's going to do that better than him. Right. And, um, and so even though, obviously, with Great American Songbook, I'm covering lyrics someone else wrote. But... 
in some ways, when I started to write my own music, I had to go through a similar evolution because before that, I was, you know, covering songs by Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. Great American Songbook. And I was like, there's no, I can't write like these people. <laughs> but then I played a show and, and my own songs were mixed in with Joni, Leonard, mm-hmm. a couple of standards. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's like so junior, like just to, to, to play my own song, it's, it just pales in comparison to these giants. Mm. And then again, somebody walked up to me, it was at a show in Banff. And they said, something really special happens when you sing your own music. And I was like, really? <laughs> because to me, to me, it was like a step down. Oh. I felt this shift down. Yeah. But they were like, no, 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 no. It's deeper. It's different. Like, please keep doing that. And mm. that really encouraged me to continue writing music and performing my own music. That's amazing. That's such an awesome, that's a great yeah. story and a great lesson to learn. Yeah, right? Because I'm always amazed at I'm always amazed at how many of us in the music biz feel like imposters, <laughs> right? Like I look at Cecile McLaurin Sullivan, I'm like, you who are you? You've come from another planet. You're, you know, if only you know the rest of us had that kind of ability holistically, but she probably has her own areas where she carries vulnerabilities yeah. or even maybe feels like an imposter, yeah. you know. Well, I was that's so, so it's interesting you say that because I've been listening to, uh, I think it's, what's the name of it? Melizine, her new one? Uh, no, I was, Bono wrote a oh. biography. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, um, I love him. Yeah. And the audio, get the audio book because he reads it. Like it's him oh. speaking it. It's a great audio book. I'm not really an audio book person. I like to have a book and like read it, but I saw... I've been a fan of YouTube for my whole life and and I love them too. I love them yeah, too. Yeah, and and they put music like it's a really well produced audiobook as well, but one thing that really struck me is he talks about that imposter syndrome. He talks about mm. how like even when they were at the height of their success after um uh, yeah. Uh, when the streets have no name, right? And they were just like the number one band in the world. And then he talks about like walking out on stage and having this thought of like, who am I? Like, yeah, why do I deserve to be here? Why are all these people here? <laughs> what, what, what do what do I know that they don't know? You know, right? He's like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not Mick Jagger. I'm not Elvis Presley. I'm not, wow. you know, fill in the blank. And that was like that just touches upon what you're saying is like, yeah. We look at these superstars and people that are just at the top of their game and like super successful and and you think and they brim confidence like they just and Bono is one of those people right. you see him walk out on stage you're like wow it's almost arrogance but it's like so confident but <laughs> then to hear him say yeah. that is like and that's one of the things that's one of the things I love about doing the podcast too is that I meet a lot of my musical heroes and I realize and and I would know this if I really sat down and thought about it but realizing these are just people just like me they have similar struggles you know with their life they have similar challenges um and there's a there's a real uh I don't want to say it's refreshing but it's sort of comforting to know 
that we all have the same foibles, that we all encounter these same things, no matter how talented or how successful or, you know, fill in the blank that we are. So I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's good for people to hear that because as, it's, yeah. Go on. No, finish no, 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 I'm so sorry. no, that was it. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And again, you know, I, one has to be, I suppose, a little careful of what they share on behalf of someone who, you know, has a public persona. Yeah. Like Sting. But I don't think he would mind because he he was actually very vulnerable in his TED talk oh. about essentially experiencing writer's block bordering on paralysis. And that was how he described it to me. So years ago, when I was working with him on and off, I think it was 2015. Might have been 2016. I had asked him if he would write lyrics for a song that I had written called Wind. Mm-hmm. And there were, um, the, the music was done, there was a melody, but there weren't, I had written lyrics and they were pretty terrible, I thought. And I, I approached him and said, would you write lyrics for this? And of course he's like crazy busy, but yeah, I'll consider it, you know, and, and he's been so, so supportive and mm. lovely. And he did, he followed up with me and he just said, I'm so sorry, I, I've got nothing. Mm. And it wasn't, he was like very genuine and it was so strange, but also comforting to hear Sting, one of my favorite lyricists of all time and one of the most brilliant minds in that capacity yeah. say, I'm, I'm stuck right now. Yeah. And then what followed that season you could almost call it like a fallow field. So, mm. you know, there's this principle, I think it is in farming. Yeah. It's also it's like kind of biblical, but like <laughs> I, I, I believe it's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll let the, those who are in agriculture, <laughs> sure. you know, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but um, this principle of like letting a field lie fallow, like every seven years or something. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes I wonder, like we think, oh no, I got nothing. Like I'm not, the muse is gone. And you fear that like it's permanent. Oh, the muse has left me forever and now I'll never write again. But I think sometimes they're just, it's like a natural part of the creative cycle where now and then you just don't, don't push it. Don't push it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and because go figure. And again, it's probably a principle of nature, right? Like actually there's, I'm going to switch analogies or metaphors and, you know, uh, I used this a lot when I was talking about Out of Dust, mm. my last release. There's like the, there were the, land, the, the wildfires in yeah. Australia mm-hmm. and there were some photos that went viral on social media and they were of like just devastated charred landscape and then these beautiful bright green and pink shoots mm-hmm. popping out. And so that idea that out of nothing seemingly comes something incredibly fertile and yeah. new and beautiful and exciting. And I think for Sting, that's precisely what happened. So he went through his, this season of of writer's block, of, of inactivity, and then boom, he wrote My Ship, uh, the musical. Oh, yeah, gorgeous. Um, which is very different from his other work, but <laughs> stunning, totally stunning. And in a way, the most him yeah. of anything he's written, right? He yeah. went right back to his Northumbrian roots and, and wrote a song that just, is about home yeah. and is more him, I think, than anything he's done. And maybe, maybe in some ways, that's what's so beautiful about seasons where we feel a little bit at sea. Is then ultimately that often 
like brings us back home again. And there's something about reconnecting, reconnecting with that, um, those foundations, those roots that, yeah. that sometimes birth like something more like us mm. than we've ever produced, which is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Speaking of heroes, you got to record with one of yours, Kurt Elling. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know him prior to this recording? Had you guys? Yeah, not personally. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a very interesting, I had a very interesting few encounters with Kurt over a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And the first was actually not super positive. And <laughs> I don't think he would remember this, but I was at one of the IAJE conferences and I had just started singing, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really convinced of my abilities as a singer. Yeah. And I had wanted to share this like little demo I had made of these arrangements with him. And I remember walking up to him and being like, Mr. Elling, I'm such a fan, you know. (laughs) He was like, oh, he was really sweet. And then he said, he was like on his way to some sort of talk that he was giving at the IAJ. I'm pretty sure this was in New York. And he said, uh, you know, oh, are you a singer? And I like hesitated and I didn't know what to say. I didn't feel somehow truthful or confident enough Mm. to say, yeah, yeah, I I sing. And so I was like, I kind of stammered. And he kind of furrowed his brow and was like, like, you either are or you aren't. Like, yeah. what, what? so come on, sister, like <laughs> pooper, get off the pot here. Yeah. And, and then what was so for me was like a little mortifying was he went on to give this talk and I like slipped into the back of the room was there. And he actually spoke to our encounter. He didn't know who I was, so he didn't name me, but he said, yeah, I just bumped into somebody and I asked her about whether or not she was a singer and she just couldn't give me an answer. And he's like, you have to know if you're like, you should with every fiber of your being embrace that element of who you are Yeah. and no holds barred, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, like shrinking in the back. And he wasn't trying to humiliate no, me no. in some ways. He was calling me out. Right? right. So that was like one of my first, I think it was my first encounter with him. Fast forward to um, when I moved to New York in 2008, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, began to work with Sting in 2009. And Joe Laurie, you know, I recommended her for the gig with Sting and she ended up becoming someone fairly close who I would collaborate with in a number of settings. Yeah. And she's super tight with Kurt and his wife, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening, Steve, was Kurt would start showing up at our gigs. (laughs) And he was in the audience. Oh, wow. And Jennifer. How did that feel? <laughs> Mind-blowing. This, this, this was the absurdity and the gift of living in New York for eight and a half years is I would be playing and Chris Potter would be in the audience because Joel Fromm was in my band right. and Chris loved Joel's playing. And then freaking Jeffrey Keezer would be in the audience. Yeah. Like, what? You know, because Sarah Caswell was playing with me and he loves Sarah Caswell. Like it was yeah. just really, really mind blowing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I realized was like, oh, I'm part of this community. And even though these people are all my heroes, they're just in the fold in mm-hmm. the way that I am. Yeah. And we all, even though we're at different points in the journey, we're all actually having the identical experience of like, 
learning and growing <laughs> because that's New York is the great equalizer in yeah. that sense, right? It's yeah. like, well, Chris Potter is Chris Potter, but you know what? Donnie McCaslin's also there. Right. And Jeffrey Keezer's incredible, but you know what? Taylor Eichstein's also there. Like right. it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's sort of so yeah. so so we're Got all it. just humble, I would say. And and so yeah, it was it was wild to have Kurt in the audience. And I think because his wife Jennifer became a fan of mine, he by extension became a fan. And so when I wrote to his, I wrote to her and said, Hey, you know, she'd kind of come out to a show of mine in Chicago. And I was like, do you think Kurt would maybe sing on a song? And she's like, sure, ask him. So she gave me his email and I, and I wrote to him and he just, Steve, he wrote the, the most generous response. And he copied his manager. And I was like, I need to hold, I should like print out this email and paper my, like wallpaper my room with it. Um, because it was so kind. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then once, once we got him in the studio, he just defied all expectations. In a way he completely did exactly what all of us expected, but then like still blew our minds because I don't know if you saw like heard this but he didn't sing a single note from the original right. melody on my funny valentine did the, did not that, a, like not a single right. note <laughs> did that shock you when he did it like when yes. you heard it <laughs> yes and we actually he recorded remotely and he sent it to us and it was like okay this is a one-shot thing and there was no alternative it was just <laughs> this is it and ben texted me and he said, okay, I just got Kurt's track. And he's like, I don't know if it's usable. That was his initial reaction. Right. And as with many, 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 many brilliant, I would even say sort of genius level mm-hmm. art makers, he took us from going, oh no, like maybe this goes too far to like, this is this is the most incredible yeah. thing. And he was so completely himself, yeah. which is the very best we could have ever hoped for. Right. Kurt was like, okay, I'm going to Kurt Elling this <laughs> to the nth degree. Right. Yeah. And that actually was like hugely honored us because yeah. I had sung it in a very straight way. And so then Kurt sings it in this super, stretchy reimagined way and it pushed me to go back and 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 redo my approach so that it would be a little more of a match to to his thing yeah well yeah when i stretched it yeah totally yeah when i first heard it like it totally like like i like yeah he comes in and i was like wow that's so brilliant and so daring and it did. It took the it took the track to a whole other place, and I loved it because yeah. these, especially that song, like that's one of those songs that it's ubiquitous. Yeah, everybody like who doesn't know my funny, yeah. you know, it's been in so many movies, and so I mean, it's just out there, like yeah. <laughs> done yeah. a billion times probably, but it was yeah, it was like oh, it just it yeah. I mean, a lot of the tracks gave me chills. That one really gave me chills. 
<laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. And it's probably my favorite on the record. I mean, I love, I really love, but not for me. And that was another yeah. one where Anat sent us her part and we were, we were like, and it was just the one part. It was just one take. Gregoire, on the other hand, sent us like a zillion takes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with Anat, we were like, for on, on, but not for me, you know, oh, you know, are we hearing something different here? Do we want, you know, but eventually we were just like, no, this is really strong. And it's like, it's, it's like we're performing this thing live mm-hmm. and this is, it's in these, it's in the spirit of jazz and that's what we want. Yeah. You know, this is not a pop record. <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, those two, those two tracks were yeah. probably my current favorites and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Kurt, yeah, he actually honored, in a way, he honored the original writers yeah. of Funny Valentine. And I think us as listeners, because he was like, oh, you all are smart enough to get what this is. Yep. Like, <laughs> I don't need to sing you a melody that you already know and that Lila basically just sang. Right. Because I arranged it, I arranged it so that he would repeat what I was singing. I don't think that song's ever been done as a duet. Yeah, and I don't at least so. not that I know of. And yeah. it really works well. Yeah, it works great. And and I don't mean to I'm not, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I just went like this part of me was like, Am I being lazy by having the melody restated in a new key? But it just something about it. It's like, okay, here's the first person's perspective, and now here comes the second person. They're singing the same words, but yeah. hey, it's different. You know? Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I I love that he trusted us as listeners enough. To go, okay, I'm, I'm going to completely off-road, and you're going to come with me, and you're going to love it. Lila and Kurt Elling take My Funny Valentine to new heights on this track. counter melody in but not for me did you write that the like that's so lovely oh my gosh (laughs) it just came out i i I, this was one that i wrote this was recorded separately from all the other tunes Mm -hmm. and i'd said to ben because ben is such a great samba player he's got such a beautiful crossover brazilian thing that he can do it's very authentic He's done a lot of Brazilian projects in his life, and and so he comes at it honestly. But uh, so so I kept saying to him, "Man, I just I just I'm hearing, but not for me." It was one of the requests, 
there were 150 that came in and that was one <laughs> that, that popped out. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, how many volumes is this going to be? But uh, yeah, so, but not for me was on the list and it was one of my priorities. Like I had asked other folks for ch- a chart for that and I'd started trying to figure out the lyric thing. But it really looked like we weren't going to be able to pull it together in such short order. Mm. And and like, how are we going to do this? Like, piecemeal? Well, you know, I hate to pull the romance, suck the romance out <laughs> of the process. But, you know, we did it exactly that way. So I went to the piano and we were in the 11th hour. Mm. We knew that we had to get all the vocals finished and mixed like no later than the end of February. And I I think we were recording, but not for me, like literally down to the day before we went into the mixing. And and it was me. I went and did the piano part. by So I wrote the arrangement really quickly. And that counter melody, it, it was just there. Mm. You know, I know it can sound a little corny, a little airy fairy to say this, but like to me, sometimes sometimes the creative process feels almost more like downloading yep. than it is digging, right? Oh, yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> wow, this thing is like in the cloud, and I just hit a button, and boom, there it <laughs> came. It. And and I remember Sting saying uh, one, at one time over dinner, we were chatting about the creative process, and he said, I feel like there's a slab of marble in front of me, and I am a sculptor. And the inherent shape of what it is that I intend to sculpt is actually already suggested. Yeah. And I just have to kind of chip away and find it. So that's a little bit more interactive mm-hmm. and puts, you know, I would say the responsibility a little bit more on the creator than than this idea of just downloading, right? The downloaded yeah. thing, it almost feels like it's a gift, like yeah. we're from some other realm. So that 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 came really quickly. And then, yeah, I recorded the piano Funnily enough, as a terrible MIDI part initially, <laughs> uh, and and uh, that was what uh, Anat recorded to, and then we went and did the you know, real piano part um, in the studio, and then Ben did his drums separately. In fact, I think his drums came first, and then oh, yeah. Nino Costa, who happened to be in Rio de Janeiro at the time, so he lives in Toronto, but he's he's Brazilian. And that was where he was when he recorded <laughs> his percussion. And and Sweet. Steve, we said, we said, so it was Ben, because mm-hmm. I love this about my husband. He he knows his strengths and then he also knows where someone else might might come in and do uh, you know, just what they bring is a better fit. Yeah, yeah. And so so he said, he's like, Lila, I really hear a bona fide Brazilian percussionist, like someone who specializes in that. Mm-hmm. And so we reached out to Menino Costa. He was highly recommended. He was so sweet. He said, yeah, sure, I can do this. You know, I've got a few other things going on. I'm in Rio. Send me the track. And we thought he would send us, what we wanted was a Pandero overdub. He sent us, I think it was like 17 tracks. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband, it was like he died and gone to heaven, right? As someone... So he was like, Lila! and he sent me this mix with everything. Oh, awesome. And honestly, Steve, my head exploded. <laughs> and I went, no, no, no. This is like Samba Squad. And, mm. and I love it. 
but it's too much. Yeah. And, 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 and what it was doing was it was making the track the stranger on the album. It was like, no, yeah. no, no, Pe- people are going to go, where did this, okay, come from? what just changed? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in order to make it more cohesive, we just had to be a little more del- diligent about where we would add certain things that he'd recorded. Sure. And so this was one where we got in there and we nipped and we tucked a little bit more, but, but what a gift, like again, how fantastic that he just brought his whole self and apparently every percussion instrument he owns to, <laughs> right. to the table, right? He just went, here's everything. Yeah. You know, and then we got to like, in that case, refine it a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. That's, it's beautiful. And then the duets with the, the other ladies. Uh, yeah. Like wonderful. And your voices complement each other so well. The harmony, I love the, the harmonies when Thank both you. of you are singing. Yeah, this is for me because I'm someone who loves sophisticated music. Favorite things is definitely, you know, it does a there's a lot going on. But yep. Pennies from Heaven featuring Katie George, who's like the new Wunderkind. Yeah. Um the, the like she's everywhere. Um she you know, it, it was for in some ways for me taking a risk to keep it so simple. Yeah. And there is a bit of an homage to Ahmad Jamal um, in the groove, right? It's this sort of Point Sienna groove. And without even thinking that, like I, I didn't even realize it until he passed away mm. and we were all like remembering him. And I went, oh my gosh. And it was like the very week, I think, that we released Pennies from Heaven. I'm pretty sure he passed away the mm. second week of April. Yeah. And then I released the track on the 14th, um, I think it was. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is, this, is, this is like, he's in this. And what made him so special was he had chops for days, he could play anything. Yeah. But it was like as much what he didn't play, it yep. was his restraint. And, and so I would never compare myself to him truly. Sure. You know, I revere him. But there's something about that track now I have to look up when he passed away. Ahmad Jamal, yeah. Um, so, but but yeah, what a, what a gift to have. Yeah, April sixteenth, he passed yeah. away. Yeah. So it was right after, actually. Uh, it was after we released after the, the release track. of it. Yeah. Yeah, we released it on the fourteenth. So, yeah, but but Katie's beautiful, and her, she's a crazy improviser. I've never been a big fan of scat singing, but. This is a woman who has lifted more than 600 instrumental solos. <laughs> I know, it's kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> She's a savant. She's a savant. And it used to feel a little bit to me like, look what I can do, you know. But no, it's it's from such a fierce love of the genre. Yeah. And of Ella. And of not just copying Ella, but honoring Ella by deeply embracing where the craft of scat singing comes from, which is truly getting on stage or behind the mic in the studio and, and becoming a horn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally unique in today's landscape. Like you don't see a lot of that out there. Yep. I mean, uh, the closest. Samara I, Joy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Samara Joy, I'm Bobby McFerrin. You know, I think about a few people yeah. whose voices, you know, cross over into that that 
you know, equal instrumental soloist realm, like the the versatility and the the, the gymnastics yeah. of it. <laughs> yes, jazz male horn is another. A lot a lot of people try. Yeah, and it's super cheesy. Yeah. It's such a fine line. <laughs> yeah, to it me. is. Like you. You, I am a hard sell when it comes to scatting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't scat. I don't pretend to scat. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of people out there scatting who shouldn't be. And I don't mean, I don't yeah, yeah. mean to, to yuck their yum. But, but I, I just, and you know what? If it turns your crank and if it's something you love, go for it. Exactly. I, you know, it's very personal. Yeah. But, but. Uh, to me, Katie and Jasmea and Samara mm. and, you know, Bobby is just in his own category. Yeah. I don't even, what he does isn't even really scatting. I mean, it is, but it's right. like, Vocalizing, it's like yeah. sound, it's, it's like not sound design. It's just something, yeah. something other. <laughs> yes. And, that's and, exactly and same it. with like Jacob Collier or Michael oh, Mayo, yeah. like it's very, you know, they're a little bit more in the Bobby yeah. thing and Theo Blackman, like it's just. Yeah. It's like creating soundscapes and yeah. um so but yeah, uh Katie, you know, she has been sometimes accused of just being like a copy of Ella and some people have gone, "Whoa, that's incredible." And others have gone, "I'd rather just listen to Ella." Yeah. But I think she I think she's her own I, agree. I think she's her own artist. Yeah. 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 And yeah. she's going to continue to mature. I mean, the woman is like 24 exactly. or something. Just turned 24, <laughs> right. right? So Right. Yeah. yeah. It'll be it'll be really interesting and fascinating to watch her as she matures in her career and how how that Absolutely. changes. Absolutely. Yeah, she's a she's a whippersnapper writer. <laughs> I mean, she can she can just write lyrics for anything, right? <laughs> and that's another skill. Yeah. So, yeah. How was it for you recording The Nearness of You? That that's pretty exposed. Like you and bass, like yeah. that was that's brave. Like I was listening to that going, Oh my. I mean it sound it doesn't yeah. it doesn't sound I mean, I don't want to give the wrong impression that 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 the track sounds vulnerable, but it's gorgeous yeah. and hauntingly gorgeous. But <laughs> at the same time I was like even as a instrumentalist playing with a bass player, like it's like, wow, you're so exposed. Like how did that feel doing that just yeah. as a duet with with the bass. So it's one we've actually been doing for a long time live. <laughs> okay. And so we would often, it would often be the penultimate song in a, in a set, or it would be the encore. Yeah. And so George, you know, there's no one I feel more safe with than George as a bassist. Mm -hmm. And, um, he plays like a singer. And so, uh, I thought, okay, well, this this is something that will work well. People have always loved it in performance. It was another request that came in, and I went, okay, I feel like we should do it this way because so many people after shows would go, do you have a recording of that? And my answer was always, no, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And so, you know, Ben Ben has imagined, my husband Ben and co-producer, he's always imagined a project where George and I, like, just do duos, which kind of scares me, but... Mm. but um. But there's something very uh, unique about that space. Yeah. And it is vulnerable. And we actually labored over whether or not to keep that on the album. 
Mm. And we shared it with, you know, I shared these songs with a couple of very trusted allies who are also musicians. And one of them said, I don't know. I don't know about that one. They felt like it was maybe too much of a dip in Mm. energy. But then she changed her tune. You know, if you'll pardon the pun, she said, she was like, no, no, no. Now, now I think it has to be on there. Yeah. But, but I think it is one, like, it's not going to get a ton of radio play. It's not, that's not the point, right? It's, it's, I think it is actually to offer a bit of contrast and to share with, with my listeners something that we do all the time live, which actually was difficult to capture in the studio because I bet. Sometimes there's, you know, I feel like sometimes there are songs that work live that don't work yeah. in the studio. And yeah. this was one that where we were, we were not, we weren't sure. Yeah. Even George wasn't sure. We shared it with him and he kind of went, oh, because in a way we were both so exposed and what the moment forgives a recording, like a permanent document doesn't yeah. always. Yeah. And cause it's, it's the moment, but it's not. It's a forever moment. Yeah. And sometimes the the transience of what happens on a live show in a room in real time with everybody else that's there witnessing it. It's kind of why I hate people recording and posting things, right? <laughs> right. Is because you hear it back and you go, oh, that sounds crappy. Yeah. But you're like, but it wasn't. I know it yeah. wasn't. And I know that when we were all in that room together, it read... Something about it felt magical. Yeah. But then you take it out of that moment and it changes. So it does. That was a little bit the risk that we took with nearness of you, but we felt it was worth it. Lila is joined by clarinetist Anat Cohen on this track, but not for me. five times since you get you got it to me <laughs> and the first time I listened to it I didn't listen to it all the way through like I was listening yeah. to like a couple songs here a couple songs there and and yeah spot checking <clears throat> and kind of getting a sense of yeah. it right and when the first time I heard the nearness to you I, I was like huh interesting choice I don't know if I would right. have done that but yeah and the the times that I listened to the whole album start to finish then it really landed. I was like, oh, right, there's this repose. And it's, it really showcases your voice in a beautiful way, um, you know, aside from the big ensemble with all the textures and all the everything else going on. It's, it's just, I love the vulnerability of it. And I just love the sheer beauty of your voice with the bass. So I was like, yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those that has grown on me the more I listen to it, and I'm, I'm glad you kept it in the album. 
I'm glad to hear you say that because I do, I do think, again, as with many new things, it's not always love at first taste <laughs> yeah. or love at first listen. And then over time, over time, something, you know, that thing will grow, yeah. will grow on you. And then it may even become your favorite thing. Yeah. So my son is, has just come out of his room. Josh, do you want to say hello to the people? <laughs> Such a teenager. Yeah. He's 12, but he no, turns 13 no. next month. Uh, he's like, Mom, aren't you done? Almost. Anyway, we're real close. This has been real. Almost. Almost, yeah. Josh. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> it's that you say that about. That we're now accustomed to, right? About recordings. Yeah. I have that experience a lot where I'll, I'll get a recording. And I used to do this with al- when, al- when you used to have albums. I would buy a new album. And I was a huge yeah. David Sanborn fan. That was one of my first loves. And, oh, I would, cool. and I would buy a David Sanborn album and I would listen to it and I'd be like, eh, because I like the old one, you know, and then, <laughs> but then I would listen to it and it would, <laughs> right, 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 and it would exactly. grow on me and then it would become my new favorite. So it, there is something to multiple, multiple times you get through material. And that's why I always like, there's my first impression, but then I'm like, no, I got to, whatever it is, whatever new recording it is that I'm doing i really want to live with it for a while and then often i will change my mind about uh about you know my opinion of the of the track so but i'm glad you kept that yeah one. <laughs> you know and it's interesting i'm glad to hear it and and um i think it's amazing that you will give things multiple listens because i imagine sometimes that's not an easy process <laughs> especially if you're not necessarily connecting with the music um and and it, it's not unlike our process when we're listening back. We, you have so many decisions to make, right? And, yeah. And Ben and I have talked about how, because by you know by the time this thing makes it into the world, a little bit like a pregnancy, you are so done. Yeah. You are so done. Talk to any woman in her third trimester. And she's like, get this thing out of me. Ready. And most, most of us, Ready, right? Yeah. That was my experience. Like, okay. Ready now. So, exactly. Although, funnily enough, Josh Josh came significantly early. So, it was less my experience than it has been for other women. But, um, yeah. And, and so, we listen, we listen, we listen, even when we don't want to listen. And what I have found to be really beneficial and really interesting is, like, different contexts. Yeah. Different types of earbuds, different listening environments, and then also different ways of listening. So, so very often when you're that this, the music is under the microscope, right? When you're recording and producing it, but there's a real benefit to listening passively. So I often learned more when I was like at the gym and I was distracted by myriad things, just listening passively. Yeah. Um, I learned more about what we, what we wanted and needed to do. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's my son. Hey, Josh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. That's this okay. is like a real, real life cameo. That's all right. That's all right. Um, real life think, is again, great. We, well, and we all got so used to this happening during pandemic because everybody was doing everything from home and it was hysterical. You'd be, you know, you'd be uh, like some of the most famous people we don't even think about their personal lives. And then it was like their dog would suddenly yeah. be like in the shot, Yes, you know, yeah. and, and, and we all loved it. We were all charmed by it because it was yeah. all of our situations. So, <laughs> yeah, 
totally yeah. fine. Is there going to be a volume two of of your requests? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> my my European label act. They said let's drop volume one, and I was like, hey, <laughs> well, you know, why do you want to drop the volume one? And they said, well, Lila, it's implied that there could be a volume two, but don't don't say volume one because it it yeah. absolutely commits you to a volume two. And I was like, I'm committing, <laughs> but. But that's okay. You know, yeah. I, I, so what, what I think I'm going to do, Steve, is I'm going to play with theme. So it's not going to be volume two of the Great American Songbook. Mm-hmm. It'll be volume two of dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I might even take requests for what the focus should be. Ah. So not just let's talk about content and songs, but let's talk about themes. Yeah. You know? And then the sky's the limit. Then it gets really fun. Yeah. Are you gonna yeah. Are you gonna tour this? I know you're doing a bunch of festivals in Canada, and you're going to Europe. But are you gonna tour this album specifically? Yeah. So we're touring it specifically in Europe, and then and then what happens is this summer I tour with the Ostara Project, which is basically Canada's answer to Artemis. Okay. So it's an all female uh, ensemble, and I am lending vocals and playing piano on a couple things, mm-hmm. but, and we will integrate, I think one or two arrangements from your request so I can have the album with me and sell it, you know, after the show. Sure. But the focus of that tour will definitely be the material of Jody Prosnick and Amanda Tosoff and yeah. uh, the women who co-lead and founded the Ostar project. Awesome. And then yeah. you're recording in the, Paul for the, the, the orchestral recording thing that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, well we start we start exactly. So we start winter songs next week. We do Wolf okay. the Beds. So me, Ben and George. And then Rob Mathis, who's very special, and he actually like orchestrated and produced the music for Obama's inauguration. <laughs> and he's like one of these super high level guys, but yeah. he's been a friend of ours for decades. Cool. And he actually did Sting's Symphonicities. And, um, so he, he came online asking me to be part of one of his projects. And then we saw the opportunity to go, Hey, why don't you be part of our project? And so he, he agreed to do some of the orchestrating. Sweet. And so we'll add strings this summer. And, um, we're still trying to figure out who the soloist should be. It might, Jane Bennett will likely tour with me, Mm -hmm. but, um, but we're trying to figure out, you know, just what that right voice is um, to kind of enter that that sound um, because it requires a very specific treatment. It, it could very well end up being Jane. Yeah. I don't. Are you familiar with her music? I am not. Jane no. She's great. She's really great. So she has a band called Makeke, um, and she's actually responsible for this huge wave of Cuban musicians mm. who came to Canada. And now many of them are in New York. So she brought David Vireles to Toronto when he was like 18 or something. Oh, wow. And he's like, he saw snow for the first time. And, you know, it's, That's so cute. It's, it's like so precious. But yeah. he's this absolute monster intellect and musician. And um, yeah, so she's she's like almost like the mother of the Toronto, the Cuban Canadian jazz scene. Mm. Um, and she's a, she's been Grammy nominated and wow. she's very special. She plays flute and uh, soprano. Um, okay. And I think also a bit of alto. She's a great writer and, and uh, performer. I will, I will check her out. Yeah. 
Where can people go yeah. to find out more about you and the album and 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 your tours? Where are you online? Yeah. My website is a good place, lilabialli.com. And if you can't figure out how to spell it, Google will correct you <laughs> and say, did you mean? Right. Um, and then there's also Facebook. Uh, I'm very active on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm active on Instagram. I'm active on Twitter. I'm not really on TikTok, <laughs> which I'm, apparently needs to change. But <laughs> it's just something I'm not, yeah. I have not really embraced it yet sure. as a platform. But Anyway, um, but uh, I'm also on YouTube right. and um, yeah, and uh, those are kind of all the places folks can find me. I have a newsletter, you know, if they want to sign up uh, oh, to awesome. get a once a month update. Yeah. Cool. And of course, if you if you stream music, just find me on Spotify, Spotify. And, yeah. uh, Apple Music, Amazon, you know, I know that some folks have mixed feelings about <laughs> streaming services, but I'm of the mind that, you know, not sink or swim, but like it is where it's the, it is the new music paradigm and whether you like it or not. I mean, if I I respect those who've decided to go a different way, but, but I've, I've embraced it. So I'm, I'm definitely on Spotify. (laughs) Awesome. And it drops, the album drops on the 26th. Yep. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lila. It's great to reconnect. The album is wonderful. Everybody on on uh, the twenty sixth, you should go out and stream it or go to the site, buy it, like do all the things because it's you're gonna enjoy the heck out of it. It's a great, it's a great recording. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate your time, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for not only giving musicians like myself a platform, but for what it feels like a very rich conversation and, mm. and a, a wonderful opportunity to share, you know, the stories behind the project, the stories behind the song, songs behind yeah. the music, which, you know, is so much what it's about. Awesome. Thanks, Lila. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lila digging into her new album, Your Requests. And you should dig into it, too. It's streaming on all the platforms, so go check it out. Go to her website, lilabiali.com. You can read up more about her and her husband and their musical life together. And also find out about her upcoming events in and around Canada and in Europe. Hopefully she'll get here to the United States in the next year or so, and we'd love to get out and see her. Also, stay in touch with me here at The Playful Musician. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show, please reach out and let me know. Check out the website, theplayfulmusician.com. You can read show notes from this show and all past shows. You can listen to all past shows, and you can catch up on all things Playful Musician. We've got a bunch of really great guests coming up this summer, so I hope you tune back in to hear the rest of our conversations. And enjoy your summer. Hope it's a good one for you. We'll see you again real soon.